I sent out a hashtag called My Weird Secret. <laughs> I asked you guys to send us a, a funny, weird, or embarrassing secret about yourself. These are really fun. Yeah. This first one's from uh, X Yuppie. He says, I like to do my ATM transactions in Spanish because it makes me feel like I aced the test when the money comes out. It's yeah. like, See? See? He says, I stretch my t-shirts out before going to the gym so that my personal trainer thinks I lost weight. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's good. That's smart. He says, I work security at a hospital and will sometimes deactivate cute doctor's badges so they have to come see me to fix it. My ID doesn't work. <laughs> she says, my neighbors have a lion statue in their driveway that's holding one paw up. I give it an exploding fist bump every time I go by. I go... She says, I can't snap my fingers, so when I need to snap, I make the snapping sounds with my tongue while doing the approximate motion with my fingers. She says, when I was little, I would lick our cat because I thought she missed her cat family. Oh, that's oh. nice. Some secrets are just so fun to share, uh, and some secrets are embarrassing to share. I remember uh, when I was in college, I was volunteering at a preschool, and uh, there was one of the four-year-olds who shouted out and said, secrets, secrets are no fun unless you tell everyone. And I think that there was a little bit of truth to that. Now, don't take this out of context. If someone tells you something in confidentiality, and you are someone who that person trusted, you should live up to that trust that that person has placed in you. But there are some secrets that are worth telling. There are some secrets that need to be shared. Uh, there's some things that just need to be let off of our chest because we can't hold it to ourselves, can we? Uh, speaking of things that we can't hold to ourselves, I am so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for what God has done here. I'm so grateful for the way that you feel like you cannot keep these things to yourself, what's happening in this space, what's happening in this church body, what's happening as God is doing things through us. You haven't been able to hold that to yourself, and so you've been telling people, and I'm so grateful for that. This is a big day for our church family. You know that over the last month, we've been going through a journey called Field of Hope. We're trying to purchase some land here in Ames, 20 acres of land in North Ames, so we can deepen our roots here. I said it from the beginning, and I want to say it again. This is not a reward for us because of our growth, but instead, this is God has given us an opportunity. God's given us a responsibility. God's given us a gift, and we need to share it. This is not a reward for ourselves, but instead, we're purchasing this land as a gift to this community so that every single person named could have a home where they would experience the soul-satisfying love of Jesus. I don't know exactly the hows and the what's behind why Hope Ames has grown. I couldn't really tell you, but what I do know is who's behind it. I know the Holy Spirit is living and breathing and moving through you, and I'm so grateful for that. It is the coolest thing in the world. I absolutely love it. Uh, I've talked to a lot of you about why you showed up to Hope Ames for the first time, but I'd like to try something really quick. If you are here today, because at one point or another, someone told you about what God's doing at Hope Ames, would you raise your hand? Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. It's because you had, that's pretty much most people in this room. It's because someone had something that they couldn't keep to themselves. Some secrets are meant to be shared. I have a friend in this church uh, who has a wife who'd been coming to Hope Ames for a long time uh, before he ever showed up. He told me that, hey, uh, pastor, I, I, we had never met before. and People don't usually walk up to me and say, hi, pastor. Um, so I remember it when they do. Hi, pastor. Um, and I said, hey, how are you? It's nice to meet you. And he said, you know, I'm here. 
I said, why are you here? He said, well, my, my wife fell in love with another man. I said, oh. <laughs> and I, I had met his wife multiple times, and she's standing right there. I'm like, wow, okay, so we're doing this now. Here we go. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, and he said, oh, no, it's okay. His name's Jesus, and I love him too. <laughs> it's a pretty good dad joke. He went on to tell me that his wife invited him 43 times. That's the number he told me. 43 times before he came with her. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he gave me permission, and he's here, and I'm not going to look at him the rest of the service. <laughs> he's funny. He's got a point. Man, some of us feel uh, rejected. Some of us feel discouraged if we get uh, denied once. 43 times, and he's here. And he's volunteering, and he's actively involved in this church. Because there are some things that we just can't keep to ourselves. Some might surprise you that you find in the Bible. Do you know that God has had secrets before? Isn't that cool? In the passage that we read today, just before it, in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church, um, uh, the, the Colossian church. He says, I want them to have complete confidence that they, God's, that they understand God's mysterious plan. Now, there's a lot of context that goes behind this, but Paul is talking about Christians He's talking about one specific church, but he's talking about Christians. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, and that mysterious plan is Christ. In him lie all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, God had a secret. God had a way that God was going to bring the world back to him. God had a way that he was going to reunite his creation with its creator. And we have this advantage as we look back through the scriptures. When we look back through the scriptures and our favorite Bible stories, we get to see them through the lens of Jesus. And so if you read your Old Testament, the stories that show up before Jesus' birth, you read all these different stories, you're like, hmm, that's interesting, like three days in the belly of a big fish. That reminds me of three days in the tomb. Okay, certain things we see and we say, I see how that points to Jesus. And so we read these stories and we see, okay, well, I guess God was already at work. God had already planned for Christ to come into this world and to save us. He had revealed his mysterious plan to us. But the people who were living through these stories, the people who lived before Christ, God's people, they didn't have that advantage. They weren't able to know exactly what God's mysterious plan was. God hadn't revealed it yet. But they lived out of faith. They were wandering. They were wondering. They were seeking they were asking questions. In Joshua chapter 5, we read this about God's people in the Old Testament. God's people, also known as Israel, also known as the Hebrews. But here we have the Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years. Traveled there literally means in the, in the, in the Hebrew text of the Bible, they wandered. They were searching through the wilderness. God had prepared a land for them, but they had been searching through the wilderness. They couldn't find it. They hadn't arrived. They were wondering. They're asking questions. What in the world does God have us doing here? Why did God make us if we're wandering? It was like this secret. It was this mystery that God was keeping from them at the time. They wondered. They wandered. They asked big questions. What did God put us here for? What does God want out of our life? Why did God make this whole thing? Because I don't have the answers yet. I think it's natural for every single person to ask those kinds of questions. Whether somebody believes in God or not, we have this instinctual desire to know where we came from, right? Have you heard about this telescope that's launching next month? 
Super cool. Take a look at this. This is the James Webb Telescope. It's expected to launch on December 18th. And this is this incredibly advanced piece of technology that they're sending out into space. It's going to travel a million miles from Earth. Isn't that wild? And it's so powerful that it has the ability to see 80 billion trillion miles away. Did you even know that was a number? I didn't. It's also 13.6 billion light years that it, a way that it can see. And the reason why they're sending it out there a million miles from Earth to look so far away is because they want to know, where did we come from? If you're not familiar with this, like I'm oftentimes not familiar with this, I'll, I'll just fill you in what I know, the very uh, brief notes on this. But there are certain things that are so far away that it takes a while for light to get to us, right? There are things that are so far away that it takes light a whole year to get to us. And so that would be a light year away. This telescope is going to see things that are 13.6 billion light years away. And the whole purpose of it is to find out more about where we came from. And I got to say, wouldn't it be so cool if it's like looking back 13.6 billion light years away into the past, and they just see God turning on a switch and be like, ah. <laughs> he's hitting a drum, you know, I don't know. They're trying to find out how, and they're trying to find out what, and I'm fascinated. I, I hope we find out more. I hope we find out more about what God was up to when he created this place. But I got to be real with you, I, I, don't, I don't dismiss the importance of the questions of how and what. They're important. But there's something deeper. How and what will compile facts for you. But they're not going to tell you about why, and they're not going to tell you about who. And why and who are very important questions to ask, too. We'll find out more about what we are, how we got here. But who's going to tell us the why? Who's going to reveal to us the real mystery, the real secrets of existence? There's only one who can answer that. Think about it like this. I've got a cupcake here. I, I stole it from our party that's going to take place later. I'll, I'll eat this one. I won't put it back, I promise. If I stare at this long enough, and if I find people who could help me out, I could tell you all about what went into this cupcake. I could maybe even tell you how the elements of this cupcake are formed together. I might even be able to tell you when the cupcake was made. But I couldn't tell you who made it. And I couldn't tell you why they made it. The only person who can tell me with certainty those answers is the one who did make it. Who knows why they made it. Now, I, I do happen to know that Sarah Bradley, who stood right here earlier and was leading worship, she made these cupcakes for you all today. And she made them so that you could enjoy them and celebrate what God is doing through Hope Ames. Isn't that wonderful? So praise God for her. That's awesome. Yeah. And I don't think we're supposed to advertise businesses at church, but she has a cupcake business. Cupcakes by Sarah. Check it out. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> She's the only one who can tell you really why she did it. And if I tell you why, I mean... Unless I heard it from her, you probably shouldn't trust me on that. Listen, questions of how and what are important. They really, really are. And they'll give you a lot of facts. But the why and the who will give you purpose for life. It will give you your meaning. It will reveal to you why you are here and who you are meant to be with. I got a good surprise for you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, you are not just a bunch of elements that are randomly being held together. 
Over the last uh, year, I think I brought up this verse three times, and I just can't help myself again. This time I'm showing it to you from the message translation, Dr. Eugene Peterson's work, as he found it, as he navigated his way through the Bible and kind of paraphrased uh, all the scriptures into modern language that we could understand really, really easily and writes in a beautiful, poetic way. It says this, long before he, meaning God, laid down the earth's foundations, God had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Before God spun the world into creation, before God spun the universe into creation, before God even thought about light, he was thinking of you. The creator of the universe decided that this place wouldn't be made, this place wouldn't be finished, his family family wouldn't be complete without you. According to God, you need to be here. We ask questions why a lot, and sometimes we don't get the answers to them. But what you do know is this. You were made on purpose. You were made for a purpose. Because the creator of the universe decided this world wasn't done until you were here. God prioritizes you before light. How special is that? How incredible is that? And what if we really believe that? How will that change the way that we live our lives? How will that change the way that we share our lives? When I was in seminary during my first year, I had a professor who on the surface seemed like this really grumpy old guy. But deep down, he was so soft in the heart. He was so caring. He was so kind. He just wanted us to see like, what God had planned for us, uh, what, what God had wanted to reveal to us through Scripture. He was an Old Testament professor, and on the first day of class, uh, he, he said to us, uh, or he asked us a question. He said, all right, we're going to go around the room, and I want every single person to answer this. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And of course, every single person, as we're going around, we talk about things. A lot of us talked about what kind of job we wanted to do for the rest of our life. So in that classroom with seminarians, it's a lot of answers that you might think. Pastor, chaplain, professor, you know, we could have gone and been doctors and gone to med school, but we decided to go to seminary. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, to get into med school, you have to dedicate your life to it. To get into seminary, you have to breathe. So um, <laughs> it's just, we're looking for pastors, okay? <laughs> um, but uh, some people had like answers that were a little deeper than that. You know, I, I want to raise a family, you know, I want to find a spouse, um, want to make a difference, different things like that, you know. I was the last person. I was sitting uh, on the, I was sitting in the, it was like a, it was like a horseshoe and it was kind of stadium seating and it's first day and I'm kind of nervous. So I sat up front as close to the professor as I could and he went around the room and I got, he got to me last and I said, okay. And I said, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to be a pastor. And as soon as I said it, as the last one, he goes, wrong. And I'm like, I didn't know there was a wrong answer to this. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? And he said, I didn't ask you what you want to do for the rest of your life. I asked you what you want to do with the rest of your life. So, and there's a difference, isn't there? So many of us are living for the rest of our life. Like we are running for our life. We are hiding for our lives. We are fighting for our lives. We're trying to do something for a life. And that's wonderful, and you can occupy a lot of time with that. 
But there's something more. There's something better. You don't have to do anything to get a life. You've been given life. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, there's a thief who's come to kill and steal and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. In the Greek, it says life to the full. I want you to be overflowing with life. Some of us are living for life. We're empty people. We're trying to get full. Jesus says there's more life than that. Speaking of feeling empty and wanting to get full, Thanksgiving, of course, is this week. My family has some traditions. We gather together in Chicago. This picture was taken. I'm wearing that shirt. Huh. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. This picture was in like 2015. Obviously, I haven't updated since. But <laughs> all right. Hey. Wow, cool. Anyway, um, this picture was actually during, a, uh, I was in seminary. It's a tradition for us. Uh, we gather in Chicago. My wife and I will be going there this week. Um, next year we'll probably celebrate Thanksgiving with her family, but this year we're going there. Um, and it's just a tradition. We always gather for this picture, and like when people are really hungry, it's not always great to gather for a picture in tight, close places because we get agitated with one another. We elbow each other. My, my sister gets a lot of elbows to the ribs, and she nudges me in the stomach, you know. It's fun, though. Like It's a tradition that we have. It's it's life-giving, right? Um, and every year, I'm, I'm starving at this moment. And I would do anything to get through this picture. Ah, well, we could Photoshop it together, right? What, John, my brother wasn't looking. It's fine. Just put him in later. It's all good. You know. I'm hungry. I need to get full. I'm empty right now. We get done with the picture. We run to the, to the counter where all the food is. We pile on our plates, we sit down, and I am a garbage disposal, and I'm so much enjoying my Uncle Herbie's incredible turkey. He's literally nicknamed the Sausage King of Chicago. He's gotten Ferris Bueller, if you've seen it, it's named after him, the Sausage King of Chicago. The food's amazing. I'm just trying to get full. And that's great, right? I mean, you have to eat to survive. you got to get full, especially when you're feeling empty, malnourished, and all that stuff. But spiritually, you don't have to live like that. There's this juxtaposition that I saw one particular year, and it stuck with me every single year. Um, it was my uncle. A lot of you know that my uncle died um, after a, a brutal and fast battle, relentless battle with ALS. Um, this was before we had any clue any of that would happen. He's on the far right. His name's Joe. Um, very close with us, and... and um, he, uh, he didn't ever have kids of his own. He was never married. Um, he, he saw his nieces and nephews as his own children, and he was always so close with us. He's always asking us how we're doing, always showed up to our events. He was always there, always there. Uncle Joe, he was at everything. And when he was there, he was present. I mean, he really showed up with his full self. And as I'm scarfing down at the table trying to fill myself because I'm empty, you look over and you'd see Uncle Joe and his, his plate is still full, untouched, like an hour into the meal because he just can't stop talking with everybody around him. He can't stop sharing his life. He can't stop learning about the lives of the people that he loves the most in this world. He couldn't help it. I was doing my best to get full. I was doing my best for life. He was enjoying life because he knew he already had it. So many people in this world are empty trying to get full. Jesus invites us into a life where we can be full from the start. 
so full, 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 overflowing full. To we, to we don't have to live for our lives. We don't have to run for our lives. We don't have to hide for our lives. We don't have to fight for our lives. Instead, we can do something with our lives. So I just sound like, man, it's going to be hard this year when we go there and he's not going to be there. I've got so many memories. So many memories of all these different things that he taught me. When I was really little, we had Thanksgiving at our house in West Des Moines. Uh, I think I was like five years old. And I remember afterward, he, he was sitting down with me and my brother and my sister and my two cousins at the time from Colorado. Our youngest cousin wasn't born yet. And we're sitting, um, like, uh, we're just sitting on the floor in the basement. And he's, like, and he's like, all right, guys, what are you thankful for? You know, like, he's being that good uncle, you know, sharing um, life lessons with us, I guess. What are you thankful for? And, like, we're going around. I'm like, um... I'm thankful that, like, I get better Christmas presents than my brother, right? I mean, like, whatever it is. He's like, no, what are you really thankful for? And, you know, you got answers out of us. He grew up in a Lutheran church in Chicago, actually the church where my dad's dad was the pastor. My uncle is my mom's brother, so it's kind of cool. They go way back. Um, And traditional Lutheran church, and they sang all the old songs. And one of the songs that he would sing with us, and especially... uh, around the holiday season when we would see him the most. And on that particular Thanksgiving, when we're sitting on the floor in our basement, as he sang that song, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. May it be a sweet sound to your ear. Do you know it? You know, it's one thing to hold on to our lives and get the most out of it that we can. But we're really going to experience what it means to already have life. We're really going to experience life to the full when we realize it wasn't ours to have in the first place. It was given to us, and then we get to share it. Oh, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. May it be a sweet sound to your ear. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. Lord, I don't want to live for a life. I want to live with a life. I want to share life because you've given me life. Because you've given me life. Hmm. What if you really believed that? What would that do to your search for your why? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul continues and he says, listen, I'm telling you this because some people are going to try to deceive you with well-crafted arguments about your why in this world. About the who, about the purpose, about why you're here. What do you believe is the reason you're here? Is it because of the things that you can do? Something else that I found interesting about sitting in that class, a lot of us hadn't started our careers yet, but as I sat in that class, we're going around, we're saying the things we want to do with our life. We're saying, I want to do this for the rest of my life. The truth is, I will be a pastor if I'm lucky until I'm like mid-60s, and then hopefully I can retire, right? And then I will hopefully have a lot of life after that. This isn't what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This isn't who I am. This is part of what I do. This is part of what I share. This is the joy that God's given me. But so often, like, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. There's more to it than that, isn't there? Some of us, we get caught up in these well-thought-out, well-crafted arguments for the world. No, I think that you need to live for a job. You need to live for a career. You need to live for the grades. You need to live for social status. And sometimes it puts it in really tricky ways and offers us really good things. You need to live for your children. And that sounds really good at first. 
until your children receive the weight of what it feels like to have their parents treat them like they're God. And when the children let them down, the parents can't forgive them for it. And on the other hand, some children are living as if their parents are God, and they're just living their life trying to get their approval. No person, no job, no thing in this world was created to be your God, no matter how well-crafted the argument is. There's a lot of hows and what's to this world, but the why and who is telling you that you are made on purpose and for a purpose. You are made to have life and life to the full. You heard this in the reading today. So let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the plants that we see outside, a lot of the trees that we see outside, we don't see most of the plant. In particular, I thought that this was interesting. I looked up, what's the biggest root system out of plants out there? And, and it said that it was rye. I, I, honestly, not totally sure if this is rye. I'm not a botanist, but it looks like the pictures that I, that I, that I found. Whatever this is, you know it has a lot of roots. If this is rye, no clue. But if it is, it's not. I hear you. Yeah. Yep. You can pray for me or you can judge me. You choose. You choose. All right. Whatever this is, it's got a lot of roots. Rye, though, in particular? Rye? Do you know that its roots go three, or its roots, uh, the total, it has 370 miles worth of roots. And it just pops up from the ground like a piece of grass, like a blade of grass. 370 miles of roots. It's not a flashy plant. It doesn't stand over all the rest. It's very low. It's humble. It lacks color. Do you see why I thought maybe that was rye? I get it. That's, yeah, okay. I'm seeing the difference. All right, yeah. It's not flashy, but it is deep. And because it's so deep, it spreads so wide. I want to be a church with deep roots. I believe we are a church with deep roots, and I believe that's part of the reason why God is growing this place. It's not us. It's the way that the Holy Spirit is nourishing us and growing us and just saying, deepen your roots, deepen those roots, keep deepening those roots. I want to stick with God on that. We have to stick with God on that. What other choice do we have? I mean, as a church, we're entering a brand new season. This is so exciting. We're going to a place that we've never gone before. And we don't have the whys. We don't have the answers. We don't know what the future is going to look like exactly. It is a mystery. But we're not the first to face that, are we? Can we remember our friends in Israel, the Israelites in the Old Testament? Joshua chapter 3 God is talking to these people and he's saying, Now is the time where you're going to enter that land. You're done wandering, you're done searching. I'm going to reveal to you part of the mystery. I'm going to give you some more of the why. I'm not going to give you everything, but I'm going to give you some more of the why. But you're going to a place that you haven't gone before. Don't go there without me. You can't go to the best places without God. It says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4, Since you've never traveled this way before, I have some specific instructions. Some specific instructions for how you're going to get there. Because as the people of Israel had been wandering, they've been working to get to this place, they're there, it's time, they can see it in the distance, it's not so far away. And after 40 years, they're about to enter the promised land, and there's a giant river right between them and the land that God's promised them. The Jordan River, just boom, right there. By the way, the text tells us it just so happens to be flooding season. 
There were times of year when the Jordan River would have been about a foot deep, 20 feet wide. But during flooding season, it could have been as deep as 100 feet and it could have been a mile wide. Thank you, God. Why? Reveal it to me. This makes no sense. What have you done? And God says, since you've never traveled this way before, since you've never seen anything like this before, don't go without me. I've got some instructions for you. I've got a plan. Right, cool, God's got a plan. Everybody wants to know, God has a plan for my life. Like, yes, okay, please, God, like, God, just show that plan to me anytime, anytime, please. And God's like, okay, here's the plan. You ready? The plan is a box. And it's not just any box. In the Old Testament, the box is called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant wasn't God, but it represented God's presence with the people. And inside the Ark of the Covenant at all times, there were three things. There was some, not probably some fake rye. <laughs> they had Aaron, his rod, that we read about earlier in the Old Testament. And the rod was a representation to say that God is your shepherd. God will guide you. God will lead you. Also, in the, uh, in the Ark of the Covenant, they had the Ten Commandments. Um, I don't have a tablet of the Ten Commandments, but in this Bible, there are the Ten Commandments. I will govern you. I will give you a healthy system to live in. And then also in the box, they had manna, also known as supernatural Wheaties from heaven. <laughs> when the people were hungry and they had nowhere to go to eat in the wilderness, God sent down manna, this bread-like substance, and God provided for them. And in the box at all times, they had these things to remember God's presence was with them, to remember that God would guide them, God would govern them, and God would provide for them. And God says, I want the box going in the river first. I want the box going in the river first. And so it says that the Israelites, they gathered their things, they left a place called, it's just the most inconvenient name in all of scripture, a place called Shittim. That's just the name of it. I didn't swear. That's just the name of it. But if you know what I'm saying, sometimes shit'em happens, right? <laughs> so in life, we all get to shit'em sometimes. You can pray for me or you can judge me. It's in the Bible. And God says, I want you to stand a half mile back from the Ark of the Covenant. I'm your God who will go so far before you. Let me go first. And then the text tells us that uh, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they take it into the middle of the river. They, they place it in there. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant gets into the river, it says that the waters start to recede. But they couldn't tell because where it started to block, where the river and the water started to block, where it started to dam up, was 20 miles away. And so as Joshua, the leader of these people, he's like, hey, God has a plan. We're going to send the box into the river, and then God's going to dry it for us, and we're going to walk across, and it's going to be great. The ark is going in. The dam isn't happening until 20 miles downriver, and they're like, ah. Joshua's like, please start praying. Sometimes I think that God tells us, he moves us, hey, go ahead and do this. Trust me, follow me, and nothing's happening yet. Do you know how many times we prayed for my uncle? Some of you have told me how many times you've prayed for your loved one. And this side of heaven, still, nothing's happened. 
priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as people passed by. Sometimes I have to skip ahead in the story. I worship the God who's not only in it with me now, but he sees the end of the story. And I'm telling you, this is a story that when I was reading this week, I just had to skip to the end. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as people passed by. It didn't look like it at first. But slowly but surely, the river started to lower. It started to dry up. And as the people are walking through the riverbed, I wonder if they just couldn't take their eyes off of the box. Not because it was the box, but because of what it represented. Joshua's walking through. It's working! I don't have to get a new job! The text also tells us that they waited there, the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. God went so far ahead of them. God was in it with them. And God was the last one to leave the danger. You have a God who goes before you, who is in it with you, and a God who will not, will not leave the trouble until you're through it. Doesn't mean that you won't be in the trouble sometimes. But it absolutely means that you will never, ever be in it alone. You won't know why you're in it. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know who's going to be in it with you all the time. But you do know the God who's there. That God loves you. That God shows up for you. And that God's revealing himself to us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it starts one of the most powerful and beautiful poems in all of Scripture. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. God had a secret. And he's starting to reveal it. We get to see it. What does God look like? Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And by the end of this poem, what it's saying in verse 20 is that it says that for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, every, through him God reconciled everything to himself by means of Christ's blood on the cross. We can re- look over that, think that it's nothing, and say, okay, well, that's great. Especially today on, on uh, Christ the King Sunday. Like, hey, Christ is supreme. He's king of the universe. That's great. Some, like, I think maybe... Those of us who grew up in Lutheran church, we might know who that is, and I hope it's about 25% of us, right? That's wonderful, but we can, we can skip over that. The fullness of God lived in Jesus. The fullness of God. Every single ounce of the divine creator of this universe was in Christ, is in Christ, still is in Christ. So do you know what that tells us about Jesus? He was full. We live in a world full of empty people trying to get full. Jesus was the full God who emptied himself of his physical blood but emptied himself of his spirit for us. You are full. Colossians chapter 2, you heard this at the end of the reading today, so then grow deep in him, the one who makes you eternally full. The one whose well you can never get to the bottom of and you will grow strong and you will overflow with thankfulness. Sometimes it can sound corny to say, oh, just be thankful, just be grateful. But what if you actually were? What if you had actual reason to be grateful? Real reason to show gratitude? 
Real reason to believe that you've already been given life. Real reason to stop feeling like you have to live for your life. Stop feeling like you have to hide for your life, run for your life, fight for your life, but instead to share your life. What if you could have that? What if you could lift your voice to God and say, I'm singing to you and I trust that you hear me. I trust that you're here. I trust that you're near. I don't see all the details of this misery. I can't see over this mountain. Psalm chapter 121, it starts and it opens with, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from them? That's the highest that I can see. But no, my help doesn't come from the mountains. My help comes from the Lord, the God who sees over the mountains, the God who sees through the river, the God who goes beneath the valley. The God who goes before me, the God who is with me, and the God who comes after me. That's the God I can be grateful grateful to. That's the God that I can trust. That's the only one who can tell me who made me, why I'm here. Colossians chapter 1, it also tells us this. See, God, he's been revealing the secret. And you know what the secret is? Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it's beautiful. The secret is this. Jesus is in you. Jesus lives in you. And Jesus is simply too great for you to contain for yourself. He lives in your heart, and your heart cannot contain him. You will overflow and share him. Hope aims, that's what we're doing. That is what Field of Hope is about. We are a church. We have, we, 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 we said, God, okay, I trust you. I don't have to live for life anymore. You've given me life to share. You've given me reason to trust. You've given me purpose for this life. So what are we going to do? In a little bit here, we're going to take communion. I mean, in a really little bit, we're going to take communion. And as you come down, we'll hand you one of those uh, prepackaged communion packets. And um, if you didn't get one earlier, I know Haley talked about it in announcements, but make sure you have one, because I want everybody to turn in one of these today. And you're like, oh, you want everybody to turn in a check? Great. No. I'd like for everyone to turn in an envelope, and whether you have a check in there, a pledge in there, or if you just have a prayer card in there, I'd like for every single person to drop off an envelope. Whether you are giving today financially or you are giving your prayers, I want you to know both are equally valued. And if you don't believe me about that, then go ahead and rip up your check and just bring a prayer forward. That's fine. Because I'm trusting God with this. I'm not trusting us. I believe that God is our source of wealth. God is our source of life. It's not us. God's not stressed about this. God's not anxious about this. God already knows, and so we're praising God for it. That's why we're not waiting until next week or two weeks from now to celebrate. We're having a party today before we know. We're sharing life with one another today. We're inviting people in today. We don't have to get a building. Some people, uh, well, one person in particular, we were having a conversation, and he said, well, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that at the same time that you're having this uh, land campaign, you guys are also trying to raise half a million dollars for your Advent project to welcome refugees and have welcome packets for them when they get here. And I thought, and I thought well, yeah, that, that's a reasonable thing to say, right? That's reasonable. But that's just what God's called us to I mean, sure. We can, know, we, like, we can look back in the past and see every single Advent project we've had and goal and Lent project we had and goal, outrageous, huge goals that we have. We meet every single one of those. And so maybe if we just took the year off, we'd have more money, right, for this Field of Hope campaign. As Christians, we're not people who fear scarcity. We believe in the God of abundance. 
We believe God's going to provide. Whether God provides in the way that we want or God provides in a way that we didn't expect. We know that his plans are greater than our plans. His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And how wonderful is that? That the creator of the universe has a mind and understanding of this world that's more complex than ours. And so when you turn this in today, whether that's with a prayer, a pledge, or a financial gift, do not give it to this church. Give it to God. You can trust, none of us are going to check what you gave. Not a single person in this room will know what you gave. As a pastor here, I'm not allowed to touch money. Not because they don't trust me, but because that's the way that we set up our church. So if you're planning to give a really big gift today and you're waiting for a personal thank you, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you, I just will have no clue. So if you come up to me, you know, pastor, no, I don't know. I, I will have no clue. In fact, we have a team at our West Des Moines campus that's held accountable by all campuses and the church council and the congregation. They're the ones who add up these gifts. No one in this room is going to know what you gave. That's between you and God. We trust that God put something on your heart, whether that was a financial gift or a prayer for this congregation, for what God's doing through Hope Ames. And we receive it all, and we give it all to God. Knowing that God knows the future. He's so far ahead of us in this. He is so far ahead of us in this that we are going to deepen our roots in him and nothing else. There are lots of other different things in this world that we could believe. You know, the, well, the well-organized arguments. Here's your why. No, God is our why. Jesus is our why. This is a Jesus church. So we are going to be a church where we lift our voices to God. We say, God, go ahead and receive this. May it be a sweet sound to your ear. Before we do this, I want to, I want to invite you to sing that song with me. I want you to hear the words. And I want you to let this time, not to be something where you feel like you have to do this, but something where we get to do this. We get to be cheerful about it. We get to rejoice about it. And we're going to lift our gifts to God and we say, God, may this be a sweet sound to your ear. If you know the words, you can sing with me. It'll be on the background behind me, but... And feel free to close your eyes. I'll, I'll, I'll get quiet, how about, when we sing this. So you can just hear the beauty of this, uh, of the body of Christ singing together. I love you, Lord. Sing this with me. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh Lord. I exalt thee. I
cheerful to be God's church? Are you cheerful to have life to the full? Hope Ames, let's share it. So never forget what Jesus shared with us. It's on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat. This is my body and it's given for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of his disciples to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and say the prayer that Jesus taught us. It'll be on the screen behind me again. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're overflowing, church. Spill it into this world. Share it with this community and see what God does with it. Amen. We're going to join together in song. You can go ahead and stand on up. Ushers are going to dismiss you row by row. You can come on down and we'll hand you a communion packet and then you can drop off your uh, envelope in the box. Um, and again, whether that's a financial gift, a pledge, or a prayer, we are so grateful for it and we thank God for it. But please hear this instruction. Jesus himself invites you to this table to receive him, to receive his life, to be able to share your life with others. Amen. Come and eat.